Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at The MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hey everybody, welcome. This is DJ Hillier and you are listening to another episode on the MyFit Podcast. I want to first start by thanking all of you, all of you listeners. I am just so thankful for you guys tuning in and sharing the show with friends. From November 2019 to November 2020, we have quadrupled our outreach, our growth, and our downloads. And it's been so cool to see the evolution of this podcast. And so I thank all of you for sharing it with your friends promoting it and giving me feedback along the way. It's certainly been a fun journey and I'm really looking forward to that big milestone of 100 episodes. But before we get to that, today's episode is with Sam Smith from Big Dogs. And for those of you guys that recognize that, a few coaches on from Big Dogs and, and the OPEX company like James Fitzgerald, Carl Hardwick, uh, Mike McElroy, uh, some of those people. And, and, and they're a very uh, trusted company. Uh, they really know what they're doing, especially when it comes to online coaching and remote coaching businesses. And Sam Smith is one of those people that is also working behind the scenes in that company as somebody that I really look up to from afar as a coach myself. I think he's making waves and doing great things in the remote coaching business. And for those of you guys who haven't heard from Sam or don't know who he is. He is the head coach at Big Dogs and he was a former professional golfer. And since getting into the coaching space, uh, Sam has had extreme success in coaching some of CrossFit's best athletes and has really turned himself into one of the most sought out coaches in the industry. And in today's chat, we take a little bit of a deeper dive into Sam, some of Sam's favorite quotes. And these quotes have shaped him into who the, the person that he is and also kind of how he views coaching uh, and how he views remote coaching specifically. So uh, the first thing we talked about, it was very timely, was we got the news that uh, Minnesota gyms were going to be shutting down for four weeks. And so I wanted to start the episode by getting his take on what are some things that he's learned as a coach, working with people, with athletes on going through a shutdown, not only the first time, but going through it another time and maybe some just mindset hacks and some things we need to be thinking about as we prepare for the next shutdown. And then we get into a couple of his favorite quotes and we spend about five to 10 minutes talking about how they relate to fitness. Uh, the first one being your physical peak is not your peak of life. I read this on his Instagram a few weeks back and resonated with it immediately and had to ask him about it. The next quote was, we have the right to our labor, but not to the fruits of our labor. Uh, I think this is something that's super powerful and something to keep in mind as we continue to um, kind of go down the path of finding the, our best self in the gym. The next quote was, focus on raising minimums and not maximums. I think this one speaks volumes and talks a lot about not only life, like I said, in the gym, but also out, outside of the gym. How can we raise our minimums to thus raise our maximums? After that, we talked about why learning to suffer might not be the best term. And although it's uh, you know out there a lot, and people like to talk about suffering. Um, 
Sam gives some ideas on why maybe that's not the best idea or approach, uh, and, and maybe we can use some different terminology. And then we close by talking about the proper ways to view skill development for CrossFit. And I've had a couple of different coaches on and talk about this process because I think it's very important. I think people want to uh, get after a skill or try to learn something in the sport of CrossFit and they don't really have the path to do it. And I think first, having a coach is the best way to go. But if you don't have one, it's nice to have just a general framework and process. And Sam does a really good job at breaking that down. So today, guys, this is one of my favorite conversations that I've had. Um, and it might surprise you, but I really like being able to dive deep, talk about a little bit more of the mindset stuff and how we can improve our relationships with our athletes and the people we surround ourselves with other than just talking about the X's and O's of training. So if you enjoy that kind of stuff too, you're going to love this episode with Sam Smith. So without further ado, let's get to the show with Sam Smith. Let's go. Sam Smith, welcome to the MyFit Podcast, man. Super excited to talk to you today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. As a coach in the industry, working for OPEX and Big Dogs, I've, I've really been kind of studying you and looking up to you from afar. So it's cool to kind of have you on and also complete the, the trifecta. I've had a lot of your colleagues on the show and I know I was still missing one more. So I'm excited <laughs> to kind of bring it, bring it all together. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm uh, very honored and I'm looking forward to the discussion we have and hopefully some good nuggets people can pull away from it. Absolutely. So uh, this morning, uh, a lot of Minnesotans woke up to the, it's the, the 18th here, so we're a few days uh -huh. back, but the idea that gyms are going to be shutting back down again. And I know some other, there's some other pockets of the country that are shutting back down with gyms just with the COVID um, mm -hmm. outbursts and everything. I'm curious, Sam, during your, this year, this 2021, usually I yeah. end my episodes talking about this, but we'll start talking yeah. about uh, 2020. What are some things that you've learned as a coach, the fitness industry with this pandemic, um, and maybe some advice for the people going into round two of a shutdown. Can we yeah. shed some light on that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, when COVID was kind of starting out earlier this year, I, I, I kind of saw it as this huge stress test for everyone, everyone on all fronts, not just fitness, but finances, your job, relationships, um, everything. And whenever you go into a storm, your, your values, your meaning, your purpose is, is going to be the, uh, the anchor you have. And if that anchor is not very strong, you're going to get swept out to sea or, you know, destroyed, whatever, um, analogy that you want to use. And I think for a lot of people, they quickly realize that they don't have very strong values or a foundation on why they're doing anything, especially with regard to fitness. Cause we'll stick to that for, for our conversation. And as I kind of mentioned before we got going, if somebody was um, dependent on the gym environment, a bunch of people to work out with uh, the music, um, doing wads together, et cetera, et cetera. Now that's all taken away. And now you have your apartment, you have limited equipment, you have not an ideal, you know, setup. you're alone. Um, that can be very frightening. And a lot of people will, might lose their quote unquote motivation or drive to train. And now they get depressed. Now they're anxious and unsure of what they're doing. And, you know, a couple of months go by and now you don't want to train and you, you know, you don't feel as great about yourself and et cetera, et cetera. So if that was, you know, 
some people's um, experience through the first lockdown or quarantine of COVID, I would say that that's a great opportunity for you to sit still and reflect on, well, why do I even, you know, why do I exercise? Like, what do I really do it for? And what value is it really adding in my life? Um, and even outside of that, like, what am I even doing with my life? Like, what do I want to achieve with my career, with my uh, fitness goals, with my relationships, et cetera? Really taking a moment to pause and create stronger values and, uh, and aims or targets so that when stuff like COVID happens, because there will be more storms like that in everyone's life, you need something strong to weather that storm. And if you don't, you're going to run into a situation like you might have already. And it's, it's pretty shitty, frankly. Like nobody wants to, you know, lose their job. And, and you know, there were circumstances where, you know, that's unfortunate and that's going to happen. But we, we got to plan for the bad days. You know, a, a, a wise sailor always goes out to sea with a second set of sails and extra provisions because you don't know what's going to happen and a safety boat. And you can use that with training and, and other aspects of your life. Um, so now going into the second round of lockdown, I d- you know, hopefully you've taken some time to think about this and you have pieces in play to ensure that you know, you're able to train, you know what your training looks like, you know why you're training. If things have to get, um, uh, what would be the word? Uh, not compromise, but if things have to be, uh, scale, and I don't want to use scale, that's the wrong word. If things have to be changed to accommodate the lockdown, you're okay with it. It doesn't stress you. It doesn't, um, you know, really uh, take away value from what you're doing. Then you're good. You're ready to weather that new storm. Um, but if you, but if you're like the former where you're getting into the second lockdown, you're stressed again, you don't know what you're going to do, et cetera, et cetera. Then you haven't taken the time yet to sit and think about, well, why am I training, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and fortunately for me, I'm, I put a lot of weight on that with all my clients. Like I, 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 I hammer talking to them about why are you doing fitness? Why are you working with me? What is this going to give you? Where are you going to go? So that when something like COVID comes, nearly every one of my clients messaged me and said, Hey, this is equipment I have available. This is a situation I have. Um, so let's, you know, adjust and keep moving forward. Like nobody was, was freaking out or maybe a couple people were, but those were people who I would argue we hadn't gone deep enough yet on, you know, the the values and foundation of themselves with regard to fitness and now the storm was you know toppling them over um, but the large majority it was no big deal they they knew the plan they knew this was a great opportunity to put more work into what they needed because a lot of people need more training um, especially in the sport of crossfit very few people are capable of competing right now and and um, truly expressing the competition and the tests that are going to be mm-hmm. uh, presented to them. So we, myself and, and my clients and big dogs, I would argue too, we utilize this storm as an opportunity to grow and thrive and, and build so that when we do come out the other side, eventually we will be ahead of a lot of people, both cognitively and physiologically. Yeah, I think a lot of people, that's kind of the difference between like the growth mindset and the fixed mindset, right? We talk about a yes. lot on this podcast, the idea of like, 
if it if it's an opportunity or an obstacle. And I know Ryan Holiday talks a lot about that in his books too. Um, you know, what about the people that they're waking up this morning and they're seeing that the gym is going to be shut down and they have this freak out moment that's happening right now. Mm -hmm. What are some things as a coach that you could help them with uh, Mm -hmm. to help either ease their mind or help put themselves in a right space? Because at least for our state, it sounds like, and I hope all this is true, by the way, we just found out, but it sounds like it's about a four week, what they're calling a pause. So if if that's the idea, we know that it's four weeks. What are some things that we can kind of put in our athletes' heads to help them uh, be successful for the next four weeks? Yeah. Well, I would first ask them one, ask yourself why you're freaking out or why you're having that moment. And in it, and you know, let me, I'll answer it for them. They'll probably say, well, I can't train. I can't do my thing. It's like, okay, that's all right. You know what? It's not the end of the world. Want to know why? Because you still have another 3000 workouts you have to do to probably get to your physical potential. Like the next four weeks is not going to dictate your peak and your physical expression or your physical or your sport career. It's not going to happen. And also there's no competition in four weeks. So what does it even matter if these four weeks are um, dialed back a little bit and they're more orientated towards feeling good, spending time with your family, especially in the United States with Thanksgiving coming up, maybe you're doing more uh, running or body weight work, whatever it might be, but look at it, as you said, obstacle or opportunity. Um, I think that's the two words you use, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so let's just shift the mindset around how we're viewing these four weeks. And let's, of course, do an assessment of what do you have available? What is your you know, workout area or situation look like? And then let's put together some training that targets the pieces of your fitness that need help in, in different ways. Because that's the beautiful part too about it is people can get very uh, rigid with the methods they use in the gym because a CrossFit gym, even though it's very different than a Globo gym, you are limited or fixed on what things you're using in your training. Very, you know, bilaterals, sagittal plane, uh, not a lot of rotational or single leg things. Now, granted, if you want to become great at the sport, you will have to bias patterns to create adaptation. However, it can be great psychologically and physiologically to go through stretches where you're changing mm-hmm. the movement patterns, the tensioning, um, the loading <clears throat> to just challenge the body and almost take some stress off of your perception of movements. You know, if you're going from um, doing cleans all the time and maybe you are a little anxious about cleans because of for some reason, and now you're doing sandbag cleans or D ball cleans or uh, log cleans or whatever in your backyard, you're not thinking much about it, but you're still working that same pattern and you're creating more resiliency and more breath with that specific pattern of movement, which will help you overall in your fitness expression. Sure. And a, a quote that kind of came to my mind was the idea of do what you can with what you have to the best of your ability. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've, where that came across in my mind, but just the idea of like, great, we're all in this together and, and we're, let's just take advantage of what you have at your house yeah. and, and let's not focus on those bad things. Even if you only have a rower or maybe you just start just doing body weight stuff like let's let's really crush what you have and let yeah. the chips kind of fall where they may exactly yeah like i only have my body weight perfect now don't do a thousand burpees each week okay so be wise which is where a coach can be helpful on this front but like it's it, it blows my mind how easy it is for people 
to fall victim to, oh, you know, oh shit, everything's messed up. I can't do this. I can't do that. It's like, no, that's, don't like stop. Do not feed that story. If, if, if your goal or your vision is strongly rooted and it's like, it's really important to you, you're instantly going to think, okay, we got to pivot. We got to change things. I need to hit this target. These are the things I need to do to move me closer to it. Like that's the difference between someone who is extremely aligned with where they're going and what they want and somebody who is on, you know, loose, loose gravel. Like they don't even really know what's going on and they're just kind of, you know, living for the moment and not living in the moment. So. Very cool. Um, I want to move on. I have a few quotes that I've taken from yeah. your Instagram and I, I consider you, Sam, to be a very wise coach. I really like <laughs> just kind of your outlook and, and reading your your longer caption posts. So what I want to do is kind of go through some of these quotes and maybe yeah. give a little bit of a background, maybe more of an, more uh, than just an Instagram caption. So yeah. um, the, fir- the first one that I really resonated with because I work with people that are mostly in their 30s, 40s, and 50s at a CrossFit gym, uh, yep. it was the quote of your physical peak is not your peak of life. Yeah. And I thought this was kind of a mic drop moment because I think people might think the opposite or might be chasing that. I want to feel the fittest I've ever felt, which I, yeah. I think is healthy as well. But um, can you just uh, open our minds a little bit more about what did you mean when you said our physical peak is not your peak of life? Yeah. Oh man, this one, I mean, you could spend more than you could spend multiple hours talking about this. Um, and I, and while that would be great, we'll, you know, we'll try to put all the good pieces together and, and, uh, so we can hit on other things too. But yeah, you know, I, I was talking actually to James Fitzgerald, we were having a conversation a couple of weeks ago and we were kind of talking about that. And I, you know, the, the, the challenging thing is social media, marketing, technology, it, it feeds the consumer that, you know, fitness, health, your physique, how you look, more pull-ups, a hot, heavier squat clean, all those things. That's what you want. That's what you need. That's what is, you know, the peak in life. That's what makes you feel successful. That's what, um, you know, makes you happy. And it's all a lie. Like there's, there's, you know, 50 years ago, people, people weren't doing squat cleans and burpees and they were probably content and happy with what they're doing. Now that doesn't mean that, you know, those things aren't valuable. What I'm getting at is your, your physical peak physiologically, there will be a peak from, from a hormonal perspective, from a neuro, not from a neurological perspective. That's, that's kind of the piece I was getting at is when we peak physiologically, there is opportunity to start moving into um, a, the role we should be playing, which is the role of the wiser person or the sage in the family or the sage in the community. Because in traditional societies or cultures, you, you kind of look at the lifespan of, of a person in that and you kind of go from this young person who's learning how to do things from those older than you and understanding kind of your place in the system and what you do. And then slowly you move to the role where you're procreating and you're adding to the community and you're, you're, you're more of a, uh, a worker and uh, growing the community. And then slowly you start to transition out of that role because you're getting older. Your body is not what it used to be. You know, when you're 21, you can do anything when you're 30, it's a little bit different. 
And now you would be transitioning into this wise elder role or the, the old man or uh, the medicine person, whatever it might be in different cultures. And that's like, that's the person who is highest is of highest value in the culture because they've been through the whole experience. They've seen everything and now they get to overlook everything with this wide perspective and provide guidance and insight to those coming up. And our culture collectively has kind of lost sight of what that means. Now they just assume I got to keep up with the 20 year olds. I got to keep up with the 30 year olds. I got to keep up with the 40 year olds and people are losing sight on how do I grow cognitively? How do I grow in my relationships? How do I grow in my, my empathy? Um, how do I, you know, transition into the stage of life that I'm, I'm moving into and do it nice and succinctly to where I don't have this like dissonance or um, midlife crisis that a lot of people do have because they aren't ready for this transition that will inevitably happen. And I think when people can sit and think about, yeah, you know what? I'm not as strong as I was and I'm not going to get stronger unless I take steroids. And I'm okay with that. I'm going to try to minimize how much I'm losing each year for the next 20 years or 30 years. But I want to keep growing in other areas. I want to get wiser. I want to get um, better at communicating with others. I want to keep getting better at my job and how I help people or whatever it might be. Now you, you, know, you, you shift the onus onto these other areas of your life that have room to grow. Whereas physically you're kind of tapping that or you're near the top. And so why, why put more energy into that area that otherwise can't really be squeezed out? And so the reason I, we kind of got on that was <laughs> there's so many master's athletes in CrossFit. And, and I'm not saying that it's wrong to be a master's athlete. There's, I mean, I love that idea. I love that pursuit. And there's a lot of uh, worthiness inside that. Now the key is ensuring you're taking the time to reflect on how does this fit in my grand scheme of life and how I see myself moving through this journey? And is this all I have? Like if I don't qualify for the games, if I don't squat clean 315, if I don't do this, am I worthless? You know, am I, am I, you know, is it all for nothing? Cause if that's the case, then now going back to what we talked about earlier, like you have this loose foundation that you're on, like you should be able to walk away from CrossFit and competing in it and be like, yeah, I'm, I have all these other things that I'm growing in and building. And these arguably are more important to me. This is where I need to be heading in life, not trying to qualify for the games, even though it's admirable, but it's just important to take perspective on, you know, where, where things sit in your, in your world and your physical peak will be reached, but there are other peaks in your life that will keep going until your last day. And so if you, if you can take that perspective, it can be very um, invigorating and um, meaningful for you um, to keep moving forward and feel like there is purpose and value that you're adding to yourself and to those around you. Yeah, I love that. That's so insightful. I could imagine a person that maybe played a college sport at yeah. 21 years old and they're at the prime and they're strong, they're doing all these things. And then maybe in their 30s and 40s, they come into my CrossFit gym and all they're trying to do is either become or work back to some of those numbers that they hit or the feeling that they were then. Yeah. I could imagine, Sam, that could be a pretty uh, lonely and, and even depressing life if you kind of lived you know, 50, 60 years trying to be what you used to be. Um, yeah. yeah, I could just imagine that kind of 
almost ruining your experience in the yeah. right now. Yeah. And the sad part is there are a lot of people who are living that right now. And, 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 and I'm, I say that because that was me too, because I played golf in college, division one, all American. I tried to play professionally. I was burnt out on that, um, moved on, want to go to physical therapy school, want to compete in CrossFit, want to go to regionals. And I mean, the, the sole reason I really was doing the CrossFit thing besides like, I wanted to, um, be accepted by my friends who are really good at CrossFit, who are, who been, who are going to the games at the time. And I wanted to just be part of the group. But it was also, I wanted to maintain that image of the athlete that I, that I had for almost 20 years. Like that's, that's only the, the only thing I saw myself as, is I was an athlete and I needed that still. And some people never let that go. And that's, and it's hard. Like that's, you know, you take away someone's identity. What do you have? You have nothing. So that's a very challenging transition that people sometimes need somebody to guide them on, which is of course why a coach can be helpful or um, somebody who is uh, experienced in talking to someone around that type of transition to help them get inspired and recognize that there's, you know, there's grass on the other side and, and it's more, it's greener than what's the side you're on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's tough. And I think the best approach, or at least in my experience, is um, you know, sitting still and just asking yourself where you want to go, what do you want to achieve, uh, what's this fitness giving you? You know, got to got to really like, got to really poke at yourself, and, uh, and that's what I also love about COVID is everybody's talking about how how much not to go back to that, but how how much time people have on on their hands, and you know, they're sitting around doing nothing. It's like that's that's perfect. Just just sit and then ask these questions to really, you know, come up with your own answers. Cause you have the answers in here, but people don't have the ability to sit there and allow them to come forth because one, they don't want them to because they're afraid of them or two, they have too much noise going on and they can't hear through the noise mm-hmm. because they're so connected to their phone and Instagram and et cetera. So your physical peak is not your peak of life. So that, that's one of yes. the quotes I loved. Another one that I want to get into is uh, we have a right to our labor, but not to the fruits of our labor. Can you open that? Yes. One up? Yes. Is that a favorite one? Is that why you're smiling? Oh yeah. It's okay. so good. Oh, I just, I love that. So essentially what that means is you have the right to do the work, but you don't have a right to the results. So you're never entitled to anything. We're not entitled. To, the only thing we're entitled to is dying. So that's what we're entitled to. And anything other than that is, you know, that's on you. So the, the better you can connect to the work you do and less to the outcome, the better you'll be off. And, you know, to really make that simple. And that's essentially what that quote is getting at is you need to connect to, I need to put the work in and do that with great intent, with great purpose. Um, that's really connected to, you know, my why or my aim in life and the results will come as a byproduct. I mean, you talk to most successful people in, in, in the world and you'll hear a similar principle within what they were doing. They're like, oh, you know, Jeff Bezos, were you trying to make, you know, a hundred billion dollars? It's like, no, he was trying to come up with ways to utilize books to expand its reach across the globe 
How do you do that more efficiently? And then how do you add more things to that? And what does that look like? And then, you know, 30 years go by and now it's Amazon. But, but you're not thinking about, oh, I just, I want all this money. Like, that's not how it works. You need to get connected to the work you're putting in. And the only way you're really going to be putting in a lot of work or, or quality work is having like this deeper drive and purpose behind why you're doing that. And that's, of course, why you need to investigate that as well. Because if it's some surface reason, like, oh, yeah, I just want this girl to like me or I want to be, you know, um, um, you know, accepted from with my friends or whatever it might be, something very surface level, it's not going to go very far. Or when things get really hard, you're not going to be able to get through that. So, um, yeah, I just I, I love uh, how simple that quote is. And I would say it's it resonates with me so much with CrossFitters in general, because yes. CrossFit is really challenging physically and uh, psychologically. I mean, more so than probably any sport because it's just, there's so much demand. There's so much variability. Um, and there's this ginormous social media world of CrossFit that people are just inundated with every day. And it just shifts your percep your perception of reality. And you just assume, you know, everyone's highlight reel is their real life. And then it becomes so easy to think that you're not doing well or that you're not improving fast enough or that you're never going to reach your goal. And then people lose sight of what matters, which is right now, what you're doing, what effort are you putting into it? What's your intent? Can you walk out of the gym with your head held high because you put in the work you needed to and you did it and you know, you close the day on that day or you close the door on that day. That's better. And then you move on to the next day. That's all you can do. And then you do that for a thousand workouts and you're going to be in a significantly different place than you were when you started. And you're going to feel better about what you got out of that because you know the work you put into it. So yeah, I just, I just love that because I think the more I've been doing this, it's easy for people to, you know, get their eyes fixed on uh, the prize and not the work. And I try to like hammer that in all my clients that, you got to really connect to the work you're doing and, and not give a shit about the results. Mm -hmm. Those will come whether, you know, regardless, and then, and there'll be a byproduct of what you're putting in. So you put in the work and you're going to get, a, you know, you're going to get fruits relative to that work, but you can't be thinking about the fruits. You got to think about the labor. Right. I just posted about this the other day and kind of in, in a little bit of a different way, but I just said the idea of that you can't rush the results. I yeah. think too, people have an idea of, you know, uh, in, uh, I think sometimes it's even with, with, with injury. I'm going to feel healthy when uh, next week, it's, it's, it's only a week by then I'll be good. It's like, gosh, that's so out of your control. You don't have the right, like it says in the quote, you don't have the right to your labor or, or sorry, you have the right to your labor, but you don't have the right to the, the fruits of your labor. So you, you can't yeah. rush the result. You can't put a date on, this is when I'm going to hit 20 unbroken ring muscle ups. This is when this is going to happen. That, that, that needs to be out of your control. And I can, yeah. I could also see as a coach, um, that could be kind of conflicting when somebody wants to come to you, Sam, with a goal and they have an mm -hmm. end date on that goal. Yeah. Does this kind of dovetail into that being able to, yes, it's smart to have some end goals, but also like, let's really focus on how do we get there before we put a date on it? Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's great. And actually, I love, I love when people come to me with a, with a date because when you have a date, it changes everything. It, 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 cre it, it, um, it gives life to what you're actually doing. 
And a lot of people don't put dates on things because they're afraid that they'll fail and they won't reach it. And so there's security and not knowing when the end is now. And that can go both ways because that can be a good thing where people are not as connected to the end result, but they're more connected to the journey and the process, which is great. And that would be uh, a positive piece to follow. Whereas those that are more fearful and don't want to uh, face that challenge because they think they'll fail, that would be not as healthy. And then that needs some sussing out to do. But when people do come to me with a goal or an end date for the goal, that, beca- that creates a great conversation around, especially in my head, well, is that a feasible end date? Because if somebody comes to me and says, oh, I want to go to the games in two years, but you only can do you know, one ring muscle up, you'd be like, well, let's talk about that. Why do you think it'll be- take you two years? What things have you done that showed you that you could reach that level in two years? Have you ever, have you ever um, taken on a, um, a huge sport-related burden like trying to go to the highest level of a sport, like the CrossFit Games. And if you did, how long did that take you? What did that look like? Um, did you actually reach the peak of the sport, et cetera, et cetera. I'm, I'm just trying to help people um, better frame this goal they have and how much time that might go into it. And some people come to me with realistic goals. They'll say, I want to be in a position to go to the Games in five years and say they're 21 and they can, you know, they can do everything pretty well. And I'm like, okay. That's a feasible goal. So let's move towards that. And what inevitably happens is, which is why I love individualized coaching, life is, you know, life is up and down all the time. Things happen, good, bad, indifferent, um, goals shift, priorities shift. And if that goal is still really something you're striving for five years from now, even with all the setbacks and the ups and downs, you're going to be trending over time towards it. Ideally, that's the beauty of the ID is model is I can help people trend towards it over time, assuming that's staying as their beacon. Um, and in some cases it is. And in some cases they actually do reach that goal and they can look back and be really proud of all that work and the process that went into that. Um, and they were patient. That was the key word that I was going to bring up is patience. You need a lot of patience because with the body, nothing comes fast, like nothing comes fast. And, you know, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, but it's, it's, it's worth pausing for a moment to, to remember and reflect on that. Like nothing comes fast with when it comes with the body. Um, you, you gotta be patient. You have to put in the work, you gotta be consistent and it's going to take a lot of time. And you just, you know, just look at any games athlete, like none of them. Even like Justin Medeiros, overnight success stories. Like Justin's, he was at regionals like four years ago when he was like 17 and coming in top 15 in the world. And then he'd been doing CrossFit and training for another three, four years. I mean, the guy's been working hard for probably the last seven, eight years on top of wrestling and other sports he's been doing. It just all of a sudden he blossoms and you know, it's challenging the best in the world. And people are like, well, where'd this kid come from? He's like, he's been doing things. You're just not aware of what he's been doing because he's not in the limelight, which is thousands of people. They're working their ass off to get to that position for that opportunity, but they're putting in a lot of work. It's not just, you know, some pixie dust that was thrown at them. Absolutely. So we have the right to our labor, but not the fruits of our labor. Awesome. Yes. Uh, the next quote I wanted to pull out was, uh, it's a little bit more X's and O's, but uh, the focus is the focusing on raising your minimums and not yeah. your maximums. Can we open that one up too? Yes. Oh yeah. I love this one too. Um, man, 
And this one came, well, as I kind of mentioned in the post, I heard this a long time ago. Well, when I say long, I was probably uh, end of high school. So uh, still, it was over 10 years ago. Um, and I think it was Jim Wendler who said it first, or it was maybe it was a strength coach at school or something like that. Um, or maybe it was like Olympic lifting or something. I think it was more, I think I've, I heard of it first in the Olympic lifting world. Because as an example, like Olympic lifts, you of course want your snatch and your clean and jerk to keep rising. However, especially the more advanced you get in that sport, those lifts don't go up very much, you know, over the course of a year, you might put on two and a half kilos on your max clean and jerk in a year, two and a half kilos. That's only five pounds. That's not a lot, but for them, that's ginormous. So what do you focus on? You can't focus on the five kilos or the two and a half kilos. You have to focus on am I bringing my minimums that I'm hitting on a weekly basis, on a cycle basis, on a yearly basis up? Am I making a hundred kg snatch, you know, a 225 pound snatch, a consistent lift for me that's getting more and more efficient. That's allowing me to do more and more reps at from cycle to cycle, from year to year. If I'm doing that, then I know my base of support is getting better. I'm getting stronger. I'm getting more efficient. And then when the time comes to actually express a max, I will hit a max or maybe um, tie my max. And even if I tie it, it probably will be more efficient. And um, that would be a better expression of that repetition than I otherwise did. And I might be able to start hitting it more consistently or might be able to start hitting 90% more consistently. And by doing so, you're not focusing so much on the unicorn, which is the max. Because max is, you need adrenaline, you need motivation, you need the strength for it. And stars, you the stars got to align. Yes, <laughs> yeah. And that doesn't happen all the time. Unless, you're, you know, unless it's your first month training. Um, if you've been in this for you know more than three, four years, it doesn't happen that often. Yeah. So you you got to take your focus away from I don't care about my max, I care about raising my minimums. And you can do that every week and you will feel more um successful or um uh, as if you're you're growing and improving more easily than trying to think about, well, you know, 90 is is 30 kg, 30, you know, I, I don't know why I keep using kgs. Um <laughs> Like 205 is like 40 pounds away from my max and it felt kind of hard this week. And that's just deflating. And now you're a little bit frustrated. You feel like you're regressing. And that's not, the, that's not a um, legitimate um, perspective on where you sit right now with your progress. So instead, you shift the, uh, the focus to, I hit 205 eight times in this session. I had a couple that were a little squirrely, but for the most part, they were solid. Um, I did them on the minute, so I'm recovering faster, and that's you know 90% of my max. I'm growing, I'm getting better, and that's such a little, quick, easy way of shifting your perspective towards making something a negative and turn it into a positive. And those add up. You do that every week. You know, after a year, you're you're going to be in a much different place with your perspective on your snatch than you otherwise would be. And as you and I both know, the sport isn't who has the highest maxes. Like that's not um, what dictates whether or not you win in CrossFit. It plays, a, it plays a role, but it's a very small role in whether or not you're successful with the sport. So even more so in the CrossFit world does this quote apply where people need to be really cognizant and connected to, am I raising my minimums cycle to cycle? And that's something I pay a lot of attention to with my athletes is, am, 
am I getting this person better at 85% of their max? Are they getting more efficient at 85% of their max? If they are, then I know we're trending where we need to be trending because maxes take a lot of time. Our PRs, I, PRs, I should say, take a lot of time and they don't happen often. Um, and if you try too often, you can get discouraged and start to really um, shatter your confidence and perspective around that lift. So you have yeah. to be careful with how much, how many touches you're taking of that thing. And I think that's the mistake maybe people make quite often is they want to work to that heavy every, you know, every Saturday, let's build to a heavy, heavy clean and jerk. Let's build to a heavy snatch where to me in my, um, just in my past and also coaching, I think the best parts about it is becoming more consistent. We're talking, if we're talking specifically about the Olympic lifts, being able to crush, uh, 80% with no misses at, at 80, 85% with no misses for the day, like if I had seven of those Saturdays, like I would rather have that than you build up to a heavy and you PR by one or two pounds. Like at that point, like let's build consistency, especially in those lifts, because then we're really learning the movement more than anything else. And that I think is the bread and the butter to build when that PR comes and, and who knows when that's going to be either too. I think sometimes people have an idea of what, when they're going to PR, it's going to be at the end of yeah. the cycle or whatever like that. Um, it's, it might not be tested as much as you think. Sometimes it pops up in competition, but if like you're an open athlete, you're not going to see that very often. But what you are going to see is a ladder where maybe, maybe you have to be really good at everything from 60 to 95%, but it's not an expression of, a true one rep max. So I think in the sport, honestly, although we see it at the games where we saw, you know, the, the one rep max stuff, other than that, most competitions yep. aren't going to have that. Yep. And, it, and to add to that, that idea can be um, integrated into all aspects of your life, not just training. So, you know, were you raising the minimum amount of sleep you're getting on a weekly basis? Were you raising the minimum amount of uh, food you were getting, or were you getting closer to um, the amount you need to hit? Were you um, minimizing the amount of poor choices you made in the week with food? Were you um, bringing up your minimums with uh, amount of reading you were doing per week? Um, you know, so that idea transcends everything, and yeah. it's just a great way of shifting um, away from something that is harder to reach. You know, the fruits. And looking more at the labor, like, am I getting that work done? And am I raising that level of work week to week? Right. And maybe as coaches too, Sam, maybe not praising the PRs as much or glorifying them as much. I think sometimes maybe a young coach could be, and I could be a fault of this too, of like really praising the PRs or being like, have you hit this before? Where it's maybe praising the days of hitting 10 sets of one at 85% and they were smooth and being a little bit more... I don't know, open as a coach to rectifying it and, and showing the progress in that way. Definitely. You, as a coach, people will hire coaches for a lot of reasons, but one of those reasons is they, they of course, want your approval. They want you to tell them whether or not they're doing the right things, they're getting better. And so a lot of it is on you to help them see that, hey, it's great you're hitting you hit a PR or it's great that you're getting close to a PR but what I want you to really focus on is I need those minimums to come up. I need you to buy more into the process that is this is going to take. I want you to focus more on the work and your effort and not on the outcome or the result or how you compared. And so you have, you know, as a coach you have to be the representation of that and embody that. And so that's um, something that of course I believe in and so I do my best to uh, reinforce that with everyone so that they believe in that and you know 
that's, to my knowledge, a very helpful way of uh, moving forward. Very cool. Focus on raising the minimums, not the maximums. Uh, the next quote yes. I wanted to pull was uh, learning how to suffer. And I'm so curious to hear about what, what your thoughts are about learning how to suffer. Um, where do you want to go with this? You know, I saw that one and I'm trying, I'm trying to remember. Um, you were referring to the Matt, context. Matt, yeah. You're referring to Matt Frazier at the games and learning and, and being able to learn how to suffer and how he showed uh, that that's a part of the sport. You do have to learn how to suffer. Um, and just kind of what that looks like. Hold on. Let me look this up really quick. <laughs> no problem. I gotta remember for sure. Cause I saw that and, uh, I was like, well, I, I uh, um, let's see. Do you know how far back it was? It was pretty new and maybe, okay. I, maybe I'm a little bit off here too. Um, oh, oh, uh, this this might be the um, um, this might be the caption. So here I, I, I quote: "To win in the sport of CrossFit, you have to learn how to create rhythm." Ironically, the market wants you to believe that you have to learn how to suffer better than others. In my opinion, that's not true. Champions in endurance sports create efficient rhythm at a much faster rate than others, amongst other attributes. One worth noting: an indefatigable uh, intrinsic drive to succeed. Um, the other ironic piece of this is the way you initially and continually build this is through larger amounts of controlled work to develop a physiological, psychological system required in order to begin developing faster rates of work over time, et cetera. So that's the one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So not, um, so it's actually the opposite of, yes. of that quote, which yep. is, uh, you, <clears throat> there is a very small piece in the sport of, um, you know, suffering. But I don't, I don't like that word because of the connotations that come with that. And especially in the cross world, because everyone thinks, oh yeah, you got to suffer more. You got to go to that dark place. Like, no, that is not how you get better at this sport. How you get better at the sport is <clears throat> you become more efficient, you fatigue less per rep, and you work <clears throat> less hard than other people throughout the course of the workout. And then over the course of a weekend, you fatigue less than others. And at the end of the event <clears throat> or the competition, you have more energy to give on workouts than other people do. And a very <clears throat> um, tangible example would be Rich Froning. Almost every year at the games, he'd win. Sunday, he would be beating everyone because in, in my opinion, and those around my circle would also agree that he would recover better than others. And so you come into the last three events of a 12-event weekend and a lot of people are operating at 78% of what they normally can. And Rich is operating at 88%. And if you have 10% more energy to give, one, you don't have to necessarily work as hard as everyone else, both perceptually and physiologically. And two, you're going to have more juice for the, the subsequent events because there isn't just one event on that day. There might be three or four events. So in this sport, you need to become more efficient. And that's going to come through a lot of rhythm and consistency and training. And you also need to evaluate your, your intentions and motivation behind what you're doing because you need, and this is another rabbit hole. We don't need to go down this necessarily. Effort is directly tied to your level of motivation. And in mm -hmm. science, motivation can be defi defined in three ways where you have uh, direction, you have intensity, and you have, um, what's the third one? 
persistence. So the direction is the goal, the intensity is how much effort you're putting into it, and then the persistence is how enduring you are, what's your patience, because it's going to take a lot of time. And so those three pieces go into what science would define as motivation. And so if, if you don't, ha- if you have a, you know, a surface level goal, you don't have as much effort put into it, and you're not going to be as patient with it, then your level of, of motivation is going to be a lot lower. And if you have lower motivation, then your rate of perceived exertion goes up substantially when things get harder. And now you put out less effort and now you have a, a poor score on a workout, et cetera, et cetera. So suffering is not the right word. We want to look more at effort. How much effort are you putting into it? And um, how are you becoming more efficient with that effort over time uh, so that you can last longer than someone else? Um, and there's a lot that goes into that. I'm being pretty like, um, um, I'm really condensing that down. So I, I, uh, I want people to realize that there's a lot that's, that's wrapped inside of all that. I don't want you to think that, um, what I just said was, you know, comprehensive by any means. Right. And there is a small piece, at least I think, and feel free to disagree. I think there is a small piece at the top of the game to learn how to suffer like that. I, I believe, I don't know if it's a percentage, but you do have to know how to be good uh, you know, when you're, you're dying or trying to suffer through a workout, but maybe that's a smaller piece than people actually think it is. Would you agree with that? Yeah, but I, I wouldn't, I don't like coming at it from the, the lens of that. It's suffering. It's rather you are, your level of motivation is so high mm. for the outcome that you're going for that your perception of effort and discomfort are very different than somebody else. So you don't even necessarily see it as suffering. You see it as, I need this outcome. Okay. Okay. And I'm, yeah. going to, I'm going to put in the work that I need to get the outcome. Like yeah. I don't, I don't think Matt Frazier suffers. He is, he is more driven and motivated than anyone else in the field. Along with, he has, you know, the most insane um, array of physical characteristics and, and capabilities. That when he goes out there, he wants to beat everyone. He wants to win. He wants to destroy people. And that level of motivation is so high that his peak for effort is higher than almost anyone else. Interesting. So, so it's almost a perception thing. Yes. Yeah. 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 There's, there's a lot of uh, science literature on this. Uh, Samuel Marcora is like the leader in uh, the psychobiological model of fatigue and how um, it's just super fascinating. And yeah. I don't, I don't have the, uh, the breadth of knowledge to like talk, um, clearly about it. So I'm not even going to do it, but it's, if people are interested, it, I would look into, um, his work. Oh, well, yeah, definitely. Very, very, uh, insightful. And it definitely changes your perception of how you look at effort and, uh, motivation. Um, and even as a coach, I mean, I see this but I can't speak clearly on it because I don't necessarily know hundred percent what's going on, but like there is substantial difference in the level of effort and output people put at higher levels or who have um, goals that are more deeply rooted in them than those of my clients who it's just like, yeah, I just do this and I enjoy it. And I qualify for something cool, you know, I do a local comp, like their level of effort is very different mm. than those that are like, I'm going to a sanctional, I want to get top 10, you know, they're quote unquote willing to suffer more, but it's not suffering. 
their motivation is higher mm. based on those three things that I mentioned. Yeah, I like that. There's, there's a lot there, I think. We'll, we'll leave it at that. But um, I'm, I'm going to do some research on my own because that, that has got, caught in my interest there. So yeah, I, I like that. Okay. Um, the next one that I wanted to talk about is a little bit more X's and O's of, of CrossFit. But, and mm-hmm. I think you do a great job, and I really like this post, of the proper way to view skill development in mixed modal settings. Um, I think we're still kind of getting this wrong. I think there's a lot of people that want to just jump to throwing it in Metcons and just let's yeah. just let's just do more toes to bar, right? Or whatever. Yeah. Walk me through how you as a coach um implement skill development. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> these are uh, heavy, man. All these quotes are super heavy, but you're doing such a good job with them. So all keep right. it up. You're doing I'll great. Keep it going. I'm loving it. Uh, uh man. All right. So because I'm trying to I'll try to like keep it uh, succinct and not too drawn out because there's a lot that could go into this, this quote. Um, so how I look at the sport and how I've learned is every movement in CrossFit is a skill. You got, I view everything as a skill and all of these skills have to be moved to their highest expression as a skill, which is in the open with fatigue, uh, with a result, a leaderboard, a score in mind, um, that's, that's the highest level of the skill. And that's usually with non-complementary movements. So things that negatively impact it, for example, power cleans and toes to bar and uh, maybe rowing, those all three negatively impact each other because of pulling. So that would be the highest level of a skill that you have to express at the highest level in the sport to be the best. So that becomes our beacon of what's the peak in the sport because you need, you need a beacon to aim at with regard to how you're going to develop this sport or, um, the, the attributes within it, with any sport, you think of sprinting, you think of, uh, pole vaulting. It's like, what, what is the peak of that sport? What is, what does Usain Bolt look like? What are his shin angles? What's his, uh, 10 meter split, et cetera, et cetera. All these things you got to look at. So just CrossFit, the lens is different because we have a thousand movements and different combinations, but we can reduce it down to every movement's a skill and we have to move it to the highest uh, expression in that. So let's use toes to bar since you mentioned it as an example. Sure. Toes to bar, you need to be able to do between 70 and 130 in a workout at the highest level with other movements, fatigue, etc. So we start with, well, like what's your max unbroken you can do and say somebody does 20 like okay we can do 20 so we need to get that probably up closer to 40 40 maybe is a um a more respectable amount relative to the demands of the open qualifiers etc that's just an amrap set that's not like a muscle endurance set where maybe you're doing a five minute amrap at toes because that's a different test we're looking now at the muscle endurance capabilities of the movement which is also important for all these skills so we take the toes to bar, you can do 40 unbroken, and I want to build volume of that movement up towards 100 reps because that's what I call functional volume. Functional volume just means what are the average amount of reps that you have to do at the competition level of this sport. And so if you take all the open workouts, which I've done, and you do an average of all the movements, now granted there are caveats because if there's a max clean or there's, you know, a max snatch or heavier snatches, the loading is going to play a part. But if we think about body weight movements, uh, dumbbells, et cetera, there are 
rough ranges of reps that people need to be able to do in those situations, not in isolation, because that's what I'm getting at with the skill development is that toes bar needs to go from, I need to take the toes to bar. I can do four, I can do 20 unbroken. And so usually for skill development, you're going to take about 20, 30% of that max set and you're going to build volume until you get towards kind of functional volume. So I'm going to take um, with 20 unbroken, I'm going to take, you know, sets of six to eight unbroken on an EMOM for 10 minutes. And that's going to give us, you know, 60, 80 reps. And maybe after week one, he says, or she says, um, yeah, I made every set six unbroken for 10 minutes. Okay, great. Let's do that next week. Next week I did seven, the following week I did eight. So good. By three weeks, you did 80 in a row by themselves. So now we're close to functional volume. Let's say 80 was the, the lower end and we hit it. All right, now we need to add an aerobic element to further develop the skill. So now you're going to do 10 sets of seven unbroken toes to bar with 10 cal assault bike at you know 80% effort, rest a minute. So now you're adding a little bit of challenge with this movement that you're, or this skill that you're developing. And we do that, we build volume. They show the requisite uh, expression of it, which means they do all the sets unbroken. They hit the volume threshold we want. Now we need to add um, a little bit more. We need to add a complementary movement to the skill. So a complementary movement to a toes bar could be an air squat or it could be a pushing exercise if we wanted to keep the gymnastic um, uh, priority in mind. So maybe they now do 10 sets six unbroken toes to bar, um, six push-ups, rest 30 seconds. And then we progress that. Once they own that, we add in the aerobic piece again. Now we have three pieces working together. We build volume. Then once they show all that, now we can start adding non-complementary movements. So now we can go toes to bar, kettlebell swing, and assault bike for, you know, let's say six toes to bar, six kettlebell swing, 10 cal assault bike, rest a minute. You do that for 10 sets. We build that for a few weeks. Now we can test it. So now it becomes eight minute AMRAP, nine toes to bar, nine wall ball, uh, nine kettlebell swing or something like that. And then we see how they do. And maybe we have a test that we use that challenges that skill at its highest expression. And we have a lot of data points on it. And then we can get an idea of where they sit. Or maybe we use an open workout as the test. But that's essentially the skill progression process that you need to do with every movement in the sport, ideally. And everybody is going to be at different levels for those skills. So some don't need to be progressed the same way as others. Um, and usually, the gymnastic realm is very underdeveloped with a lot of CrossFitters. So you have to put you know, more time, or at least in my experience, in that area to move the skill into a, a, a setting where you can do a hundred toes to bar on Friday with squat cleans and double unders. And then on Monday you can do it again and your splits, your effort is the same with the toes bar. You're not fractioning more. You're not breaking down as more, more like that's what you need for the sport. Just at the open level, it doesn't talk about sanctions or the games level. Right. What, what mistake is most common, do you think, when people are trying to implement a skill? When maybe maybe they don't have a coach, Sam, and they're trying to do this on their own. What what's the common mistake you see? They they, they rush putting it into situations that are too demanding. Mm. Can you give an example so, of that? Yeah. So, for example, if somebody does five sets each for time of twenty cal row, twelve toes to bar, twelve wall ball, twelve burpee, forty double under, 
and rest two minutes. And say the first set, they do everything unbroken. Next set, they have to fraction toes the bar. Wall balls, they do unbroken. Burpees are slower. They trip up on the double unders. Their overall time is slower. Next set, even worse. Next set, even worse. Maybe the last two sets are the same, but they're, they're still off from the first one. That just shows a decrease in power and a lack of sustainability set to set, which means you're not expressing the movements in the way they should be expressed for the sport. Because at the peak, as I said, you need to do all the skills at the, um, the highest level, which is in fatigue settings with non-complementary movements. And you've got to make that as aerobic as possible, meaning as sustainable as possible. So when you do your muscle endurance or you do your training for the sport, which I just gave an example, it was five sets. Mm -hmm. Those need to be as sustainable as possible. So your system is learning how to turn those contractions into more sustainable contractions, which allows you to one, build more volume. It's perceptually less hard. So you can do more over time and you can recover faster. So when people are doing that work and they're starting to fraction too early or, you know, their splits are getting slower, that just tells you that that's too much for where they currently sit. And most people want to do it because that's the cool flashy stuff. And that's what they see on Instagram. But very few people are at that level. So you mm-hmm. have to take a lot of steps back. You got to build slow and build for a long time, which is why patience is the golden word, because it's going to take a long time uh, to, to, to be in this sport for a while and to have um, a good experience with it. Because anybody can do it for a year really fast. You do any, normal, you do any uh, mainstream blog. And you can push at it for a year, you'll get better, you'll hit some PRs, but you're going to start getting achy, you might get burnt out. Um, and you might want to do, you know, marathons and triathlons instead, and stop lifting and stop doing stuff hard because your system's just, you know, it's getting pushed too much. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting that even though we talked earlier about raising your minimums in an Olympic setting, I think it all it correlates really well to skill development as well. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Olympic lifts are, are skills as well. Like exactly. every, yeah, good point. yeah. So everything's a skill, uh, which I don't think people view it that way. And I think it's helpful, um, in creating a framework for, for de- program design and coaching athletes is, or even clients is, you know, let me look at everything as a skill and where are people sitting with these skills and how much experience do they have with those skills? Mm-hmm. And that just, it just makes the whole process a little bit smoother. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it's very person dependent, but the person you kind of named, it was that a person that can do 20 unbroken toes to bar and they want to get to 40 to, uh, tell me a little bit, Sam, about what if it's somebody who can do five or we're, we're, we're regressing way back. They can only do four or five pull up toes to bar, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, h- how do you start when a number is so small like that? Where like two reps is toxic. It's a big deal. Yeah. <clears throat> well, if say they can do five unbroken toes to bar. Sure. So they can, they can do like five kipping in a row. They don't yep. do one hang, do one hang. They do five in a row. Then, okay, cool. You can do five. And let's say we want to get to 10. Then with that person, I would probably give them, because, because the, the strain, let's say on the system is so low, they would probably do like a 10 minute EMOM of three unbroken, you know, three times a week. Uh, assuming they have the scapular strength right, for that right. because, you know, a toes to bar is not an ab exercise. It's a scap, uh, hip flexion exercise. And so you need to think about both, uh, joints being implicated on that and how it affects other aspects of your training. So maybe two to three times a week, 
they are doing that movement and we're calling that like skill practice. But the big focus of the train is on improving scap strength, improving um, hip flexion, improving uh, core tensioning and bracing, um, improving um, global extension patterns. So you can think about, you know, a toes to bar being a very uh, global extension to global flexion. So improving those movement characteristics um, to make them stronger and more robust so that their system can handle more contractions in that pattern. So it's similar in, in principle to the 20 unbroken person. It's just, it's more watered down. And the focus is probably a little bit more on other aspects that are implicated in improving that toes to bar. And that's a conversation I'll have with them so that I say, you know, we talk and I say, Hey, we know you're at five right now, which is great. We want to get to 10, but these are the things that go into you being able to do 10, not just more toes to bar. We need to get stronger here. We need to get stronger here. We need to improve body awareness here. So these are the things we need to be doing and we are going to be doing them in training. And I want you to put a lot of focus and intent into those areas because those are going to make your toes to bar better without necessarily doing a hundred toes to bar in a week. Yep. Got it. And I don't mean to be a dead horse here, but some of it's just, um, I'm curious on, on some of this yeah. stuff as well. But so I found it interesting that you started with a, an AMRAP unbroken set, but then you kind of finished with a um, open test mixed modal type of a workout. So my question is, do you ever go back to the AMRAP unbroken set? Is that important to do? Or is it more important to see how do, how they do in a uh, AMRAP setting with other movements versus by themselves. Cause I could see somebody be like, you know, um, we went through this long progression, but then we're doing, we're coming back to it and, um, you know, raising the minimums, right. I can only do 25 instead of 20. So it really hasn't changed that much. Um, how obsessed do you get with the AMRAP set? Yeah. It, the only, the only movement I get, well, I should say two movements. The only two movements I get, uh, well, maybe three, <laughs> three <laughs> movements. I get, a, I will get more, um, I'll put more emphasis on the AMRAP set would be ring muscle-ups, strict handstand push-ups, and chest-to-bar. Like those three, I have numbers that I like people to hit as kind of minimums for an AMRAP set. Toes-to-bar, not so much. Um, and I say that with a grain of salt The first regarding the first three AMRAP sets because, again, we got to think about the sport. And the sport is not AMRAP sets. The sport is 100, 120 reps. And you're not doing sets of 20 the whole time. You have to learn how to do sets of five for, you know, 20 rounds. Like you think of 20.2. I mean, you had to do six toes to bar, you know, and that the elite are doing, they did, you know, 20 rounds. Like rounds. you have to do 20 sets of six unbroken toes to bar. And every set needs to be smooth. Like it's nothing. You're just breathing. So you have to get to a level where you can do 120 and sets of six, not, you know, four sets of 30 unbroken. Right. Now the AMRAP set is important because it is showing us, uh, potential and capability for efficiency in that movement, but it's not the end all be all for the sport, which is why one test I really like is 30 ring muscles per time. You have to open with an AMRAP unbroken set and then the remaining reps, you know, until you hit 30. So it shows us what's the potential for that movement. And then how great is your system at reco recovering and extending muscle endurance out mm -hmm to finish 30 reps. And I do that with 50 reps for time too, because if we look at, uh, 20.5, yes, you, you, you had to do four or you had to do 40 ring muscle ups, 40, yeah. but it's, but we're moving the needle because 30 used to be kind of this, um, 
uh, functional volume for that specific movement. And it's kind of moving that way. And even at the games, they had 50 bar muscle ups. So 30 plus is now a realm of functional volume that people need in the muscle ups. Um, so AMRAP is important, but I don't lose sleep over the AMRAP and I care almost more about, um, how is your extended muscle endurance for those movements? Because that is more, uh, aligned with what the tests are for the sport. Very well said. Awesome. And I think just at the end of the day, for anybody that didn't get any of that, just doing more toast to bar is not the answer. Right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Very cool. Well, I appreciate you tackling all those quotes, Sam. I know we're getting uh, close on time here. Do you have time for the final five questions or do you yes. get rolling? Okay. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. All right. So the first question I ask all my guests, Sam, is what is one piece of advice you would give to an 18 year old kid who wants to be in your shoes someday? Yeah, I like this one. This is good. Um, and the, <laughs> the first, the first question that came to mind or not question, but the first answer that came to mind was, uh, was make your bed every day. And I just love that, uh, that action, that statement, not, not for, not for what it is, but what for it stands or what, for what it stands for, which is like, set the intention for your day, set, set the intention for your life. And starting the day, I make my bed, it's organized, my room is clean, I'm ready to go. Like that's just setting you up for success and 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 putting your head in the right place for your day, for your life, for your career. And I think reflecting on my own life, that's one thing that I've been fortunate in that I'm very intentional about everything I do. And it's led to some, some good outcomes in my life. And so I see that as maybe something that other people could adopt that could be of help or benefit to them as well. Mm -hmm. A word that keeps coming up in my mind, Sam, I don't know if people have told you this before, but just a word that comes on my mind as I get to know you here is you're very mindful. Is that, is that kind of something that you try to chase or try to adopt? Yeah, I would say <laughs> I try to explore my mind more. Mm -hmm. uh, that's probably something that really fascinates me about life and coaching and learn and getting to know my clients is I probably spend more time in that world or realm with people that I work with than probably other coaches do. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think that's because I think I'm better at that area. I just think I have this draw for it because in, in my opinion, I, I, I would say people are not as aware or conscious of how, how valuable your mind is and, mm -hmm. and how easy it is to manipulate your mind in a way that it becomes a, an asset and, and not a detriment to you, which is, you know, come of some of the things we talked about earlier about raising the minimums, about COVID and opportunity and obstacles, like how you, you know, you can use your mind as such a strong weapon if you, if you know how to. And so taking the time to explore it more and and figure out how to make that a strength is i i think a worthy uh pursuit which is why i i, I look into it and yeah. um and it, it just it attracts me right yeah it, it's something that i can see from afar and just by getting to know you and something that's uh just admirable too so um thank you yeah props to Appreciate you it. and i hope to kind of take that on after this conversation as well um number two out of five here what is a book that you think everyone should read or in other <laughs> words what is a one book that has had a big impact on you yeah <laughs> uh i know you're a big reader so there's probably yeah <laughs> yeah there are several the one that came to mind is 12 rules for life by jordan peterson mm -hmm. 
Um, I've posted about him before and, and I, um, he, his work just really spoke to me. And I think it might've been part of the catalyst that made me more, uh, interested in, in looking more into the mind and, and meaning and purpose and, um, you know, asking, asking harder questions. And I just loved that book because those rules are very simple, which people could just push aside and be like, well, that's just, you know, like stand up tall, stand up tall with your shoulders back. It's like, well, why do I need to do that? It's like, it's not, it's not what it actually is, but what it represents. And it's the same with training. It's the same with how you look at everything. It's, it's not what you're doing, but, but how you look at it and how you go about doing it that, that magnifies over time into something, you know, great or not so great. And so that book, I've read it twice. Uh, and the second time was better than the first. It's just, there's so much in there and, um, it really, you know, makes you think deeper about things. And I like that a lot. Very cool. Number three, if you had your own billboard, let's say it's, uh, you know, downtown New York city on the busiest streets, if you had a big billboard there, Sam, what would you want your billboard to say and why? Yeah, yeah, this, I like this one a lot. So the word that came to my mind was onward with a period. Okay. And the reason I say that is, you know, life's about the journey. It's not about the destination and onward kind of magnifies that where, you know, Hey, I hit this PR and it's like onward. We keep moving that this isn't the end. This, you know, we, we have another day we have tomorrow. Well, we're not guaranteed it, but you know, until your last, you have to keep moving forward. You have to keep uh, developing, you know, you have to move from the physical peak to the next peak in life. Like everything has to keep moving. Mm-hmm. And I just love that because it doesn't get us so attached to the outcome, to the fruits of our labor. It gets us connected to the process and this moment we have. And, and that removes a lot of anxiety and stress because you don't, you don't boil everything down to this one moment or this one experience. And that's a lot of weight to put on one thing that a lot of it might not be in your control. Right. And so it just creates better perspective. And, and that's also, I think why I love or why I coach in CrossFit and health and fitness is the physical trials we go through, help us explore the mind more and help us strengthen that mind so that we can be more orientated towards this uh, onward mentality um, with how we view, you know, our life and our journey. Man, what a great word that needs to be implemented into my verbiage a little bit more. I mean, just how many times a day could you probably say that? Like after this conversation, after a conversation onward, it's just, we're yep. on to the next. What, what a great just transition and segue to not only life, but just your day to day. Like let's go to the next thing. Yep. Exactly. Cool. I love Good that. Word. Um, number four, if you had the opportunity to work out with anyone in the world, they must be alive, Sam, who would you work out with? Yeah. Oh man, this is a, uh, it's a good one. Uh, I put Paul check. That was the first one that kind of like came to mind only because, or not only, but one, I think he's super fascinating. And a lot of his work, of course he stood on the shoulders of giants and still does, but a lot of us have stood on his shoulders and, you know, have allowed us to reach new heights or, or new vistas or see the new vistas within our world. And, um, it would just be great to, you know, work out with a 57 year old who's jacked and lifting stones in his backyard and, um, and try to try to ask him questions that, you know, were good questions. I think with somebody like that, it would be intimidating because, 
you know, you want to ask great questions to help pull out some good, some great knowledge from someone, but uh, he would be a fun person to, to spend some time exercising with. If I didn't have the opportunity to kind of train next to James pretty much every day, then I would say James, but I'm fortunate in that regard. So I don't necessarily need to cha- train with James, but Paul Check would be cool. Very cool. Uh, the last question is kind of where it's kind of makes sense because it's where we started the conversation. So it could be some of the same answers, but uh, the question I've been asking my guests during at least this time period is what is something that you've learned in 2020, the, during the COVID, during um, just every, everything that's been going on? What's one thing that, and this is imagining that January 1st, we go back to how things were in, I don't know, 2018, 2019, just kind of yeah. imagine with me, but what is one thing that you're going to take from the year 2020 that's going to make you a better person um, husband coach in 2021? Um, hmm. Well, more personally, I'd probably say making sure I'm spending more time uh, with my, my girlfriend, family, and myself, like by myself. I, I need and I like a lot of time alone so I can think and reflect. And I think one of the upsides of COVID was like my schedule didn't change too much, but I did have some more time to sit still and, and be with family and be with friends and my girlfriend. And, and it, it reinforced in me that at the end of the day, those are the things that are more important than anything else. And um, those, those, you know, we need to be, we need to be creating time in our day and our week in our life uh, to um, grow those and build them. Because at the end of the day, if it's just you and your work, you will be very lonely no matter how much money or how much success you accrue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I hope that people recognize that um, so that they can be um, you know, growing their life in other areas, not just in fitness. Yeah. What a great, what a great piece of advice to end it there. I thought it was interesting that at least some of the words or some of the articles that were coming out this morning was the, they were using the word pause instead of mm. shutdown. And I thought that even the change in words was like, man, like pause sounds so nice. Like just to oh, put yeah. something on pause for a little while and let, let things just sit. And I really resonate with you, with you saying, you know, being still, I, I, and I don't know what the rest of the country will use, but I kind of, I think I'm going to take the word pause. Awesome. That's a great word. I love yeah, that. Yeah. That's no, nobody knows what pause means unless it's between uh, sets of a workout. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> Very cool. Well, Sam, this was super insightful. I loved, it. I could keep, I have so many more questions. I could keep going for another hour, but um, for the guests that want to start to follow you, or if you're mm-hmm. taking on clients, where can I work? Yeah. Push them towards. Yeah. So uh, Instagram at coach Sam Smith, that would be where you could see uh, content or things I post. Uh, if you wanted to, schedule a call or chat with me, you could email me directly, sam at thebigdogs.com. Or you could um, go to my Instagram page. You click the link in my bio. There's an icon work with me. You can schedule a chat with my um, assistant, Mandy, and then she could set you up on a call. Um, but yeah, if you have any, if anybody has any questions or anything, always feel free to reach out or DM me. I love uh, conversation and um, I'm here to help. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time, Sam. If you guys enjoyed the show, give us some feedback and also leave a rating on iTunes and uh, tell us what you think. Thanks for stopping by. We'll see you next week on another episode of the My Fit Podcast.